From MTMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. If you can't measure it, you can't improve off of it. And if you can't improve off of it, you can't, you can't get the results. That's Matt Seafeld on the role analytics plays in shaping revenue cycle performance. We'll hear more from Matt on his journey through RevCycle Consulting, how AI and automation can streamline your practice workflow, and where peace of mind fits into the process. But first, a word from our sponsor. MGMA 20, the financial conference, will be here before we know it. And we've got an exclusive discount for podcast listeners looking to join us March 5th through 7th in Nashville. Use the code POD20 at registration to save $200 and reserve your spot at an industry-leading event designed to help medical professionals run a more profitable and efficient practice. Whether you're a CFO, accountant, physician, consultant, or other related position, the Music City is where you'll want to be. To learn more or to register, visit mgma.com TFC20. And don't forget to use the code POD20 to save $200. The healthcare artificial intelligence market is experiencing exponential growth. Between 2018 and 2025, research shows that the market is predicted to climb from $2 billion to $36 billion. While AI and technology can play critical roles in improving a practice's revenue cycle management, today's guest, Matt Seafeld, wants us to know it's not always the Band-Aid administrators seek. Matt firmly believes in focusing first on the people, then on the processes, before aligning both with technology that fosters automated and efficient workflow. Matt is the Executive Vice President of Metavolve and is set to bring his RevCycle expertise to Nashville next month as a co-presenter with Andrea Vitalich at MGMA's Financial Conference. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're currently Executive Vice President with Metavolve. Um, in looking at your background and working with you on a previous webinar, I know you have an extensive background in revenue cycle technology and consulting. If you don't mind, uh, share a little bit about your journey um, in revenue cycle management and in technology uh, that you can share with our audience here. Sure, absolutely. You know, um, I've, so I've spent my entire career in revenue cycle uh, mainly started out on the consulting advisory side, working with large health systems, uh, really across the U.S., you know, going in and assessing people, process, existing technology, uh, and then obviously realigning people, process, <laughs> technology to, to, to really go after results. Uh, really focused on the profit and loss statement, improving that revenue, as well as accelerating cash on the back end, which, which obviously improves the balance sheet. So, you know, that's, that's really been my focus point uh, and then obviously building a technology company in Revenue Cycle and all the things that I'm doing here now at Metavolt has, has helped augment my, my career. Um, you know, I've really gone from the hospital acute side to now, you know, we're focused primarily in the surgical specialty, the independent physician group practices uh, as well. And as I tell folks, it doesn't really matter what size of an organization you are, whether you're a hospital or critical access care uh, or you're an IDN or you're small ambulatory clinic, you still have the same fundamental challenges with revenue cycle. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to take a step back. You were talking about revenue cycle, but you have an interesting background even before that in researching your 
you know, your background, your history. I found that you were an All-American in track and field. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. W- what was your event or events that you were involved in? And what was it like being a, an All-American uh, in, in the collegiate field there? Well, you know, I, I have back problems now. Uh, I have some cool awards and certificates and back problems. That's what I always yeah. joke, joke with people about. But no, it was fun. I, I did. I went through uh, four years NCAA. Uh, I was an All-American in, in track. I was a thrower, shot put, discus, and hammer thrower. So uh, I, I am not a runner. Um, and, you know, it was it was a good experience. You know, sports have always been a, a huge part of my life, uh, really, since I was you know a little kid all the way up through college. And it continues to be as I coach my my sons and their endeavors in, in sports. Um, I think that you know, athletics for me really built a foundation of you know working through challenges. You know, not not uh, every day is a good day, and how important in life focusing I call it above the neck, right? It's the it's the mental strength, the mental toughness to get through those hard times. Uh, that's really. So transformed my my career. Uh, you know, my career has been uh, challenging. Um, I've had to do uh, obviously lots of travel. I have to work with very complex organizations. I had to deal with difficult people, difficult situations, and you know, it's you know having that foundation of teamwork, having that foundation of work ethic, uh, being tenacious. You know, those are all the the things that, that make you successful in life, uh, not just business, but in life. And and I, I have fond memories of. of track team I have fond memories of traveling around the country you know competing um, and the fact that it was an individual sport you know you really had to realize that if you stepped up and you, you performed well that's on you and if you didn't perform well that's on you as well uh, and if you let your head get in the way um, you need to really think about how you're going to you know readjust your focus and make sure that you don't allow your mind to, to change what your body's capable of doing mm-hmm. now you mentioned the back injuries did you have any of those while you were competing or once you got out? I'm just curious if you did have them during that time, how you had to adapt and, and just kind of listen to your body at times and then other times push through to uh, achieve the goals that you had for yourself. Yeah, yeah I certainly went through through injuries. Um, you know, one, one in particular is uh, my junior year, I qualified for NCAAs in three of the throws. So I was very excited. It was two weeks before the championships, and I was squatting, and there was a freshman who was spotting me, and he did not spot me correctly, and I ended up having about 400 pounds kind of roll on me the wrong way, and I, I, I didn't herniate a disc, but I, I threw my back into a pretty pretty big spasm where I wasn't even able to walk. So, you know, those uh, 10 days were quite emotionally challenging. You know, you go from the top physical shape knowing that you're heading off the NCAAs, and then you're sitting here, you know, on the floor crying to yourself, saying, "Am I even going to be able to compete?" Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the what was interesting was taking those ten days off, and, and it actually helped my body. So when I did get on the plane and I did get out there, even though I was a little, you know, careful uh, at first, I ended up performing. You know, and I, I was a two-time All-American that year. So you know, it just goes to show that you know you you can wallow in self-pity or you can rise to the challenge and know that you know your higher power is going to put challenges in front of you, but not something that you can't get through. And so, you know, I did the, the rehab, I did the, uh, the stretching. I also did the rest, which as an athlete, it's hard. No one wants to rest, right? If you rest and you're not getting ready for the big day, ironically, rest could actually make you more prepared for the big day than, than overtraining, which is probably what I would have done for those 10 days. I would have overtrained. So mm-hmm. it worked out in the end, but 
that's just a part of being an athlete. And nowadays, you know, I'm 43 years old, almost 43 years old. And, you know, whether I'm swimming in laps in the pool and my shoulders start to hurt, you know, I have to listen to my body and I have to adjust my uh, regimen. So, right. Now, you consult, you work with uh, medical practices now. Um, I know it's not a direct correlation, but what kind of advice do you give then? I mean, it's it's not a, as much a physical strain for people in practices, but we all know about burnout. We all know about being overtaxed. Is Does that ever get into your consulting where you just kind of talk people through how to, you know, work smarter, not harder, and, and how you achieve this so you don't uh, bump up against that burnout and uh, other things that can be very problematic yeah I, I think that you know when you look at revenue cycle you know um you know we are we are here to make sure that the services are being that are being delivered get get paid right get paid which you're supposed to get paid and there's a lot of people involved in that and there's a lot of people who have to be capable and they have to be willing to do the, a good job for what they're being paid for and so i think you know when i talk with administrators or i talk with physician-owned practices uh you know, my comment to that is you've got to make sure your team's aligned. You've got to make sure the people on your team are focused and have the right incentives to stay focused on doing the right outcome for the work that they produce. And that is uh, important. You know, there's always, there's an athletic mentality to that. You know, you don't just show up and expect a result that's great. I mean, you have to put the work in. And sometimes those are long hours and sometimes those are frustrating hours. Um, you know, you can't wallow in self-pity. You can't say, well, the payers are just going to do what they're going to do. Well, you know, that, that physician just doesn't know how to code, so we'll just deal with the denials. Like, you've got to elevate your game, and you've got to, to work with uh, the variables that you have, and you've got to create the change. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to reduce that cost to collect. I, I thought too many things have, have changed in the healthcare span since I started my career back in 2000. Um, if you don't protect that, um, you know, you're in real trouble as, as you look at trying to stay, stay uh, in business, you know, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Now, you've worked with some major firms uh, in the consulting side. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and tell us about how you got involved in revenue cycle management in the first place. Was this something you sought out? Was it a job you interviewed for, and then it uh, happened once you got there? How, how did that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so, no, I didn't, uh, you know, my senior year of college, I, did, I wasn't thinking to myself, geez, I want to go into revenue cycle consulting. Uh, <laughs> I was actually walking along the, the, the library walk career path and, you know, try to figure out what was I was going to do with my life. You know, track was over, school was getting ready to be over, the fraternity days were over. Like, now what? Now I got to, I guess, I got to be an adult. And I happened to come across a company at the time, very small, Stock Camp and Associates. Uh, they were a healthcare-focused uh, revenue cycle consulting firm. Um, and, you know, I, I interviewed with them. I interviewed with Arthur Anderson and some of the other blue chip firms. Uh, and I ended up taking the offer with, with Dale Stockham. The reason I did that was I wanted uh, the advice my dad gave me was, you know, you could go start with a big firm like a PwC or Deloitte or an Arthur Anderson at the time um, and get very broad. You can work in multiple industry verticals and you can get good a good two years of consulting experience, or you could specialize out of the gate in a vertical like healthcare and you could get deep fast. And that's really changed my, that really set my career off on a trajectory uh, that I had no idea at the time is, is to, to join a firm who specialized in revenue cycle, who also specialized in developing and deploying technology to automate workflow and analytics to support that automation and analytics to identify where the areas of improvement are 
was huge. It's it's uh, Dale Stockcamp, uh, you know, measure to improve was what he always told us. If you can't measure it, you can't improve off of it, and if you can't uh, improve off of it, you can't you can't get the results, right? I mean, you have to be able to do those things. And so, you know, I spent almost four over four years with with Dale and his team. I was a part of a lot of growth with Stockcamp. I got to experience all areas of the revenue cycle, including patient throughput, you know, looking at bed management and all kinds of fun stuff in the middle of the revenue cycle. Uh, and then I moved on to PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, and then I finished off my consulting with Deloitte and Touche. And what was interesting about those two experiences was I actually got to work with a lot broader clients, so a lot different types of medical specialties and health systems. Same fundamentals, uh, you know, revenue cycle consulting. Little less focus they had on technology and workflow automation, which was frustrating. Uh, but I was able to to work with each firm to build some semblance of that uh, into their practice. Uh, but really, what happened at Deloitte was was I saw an opportunity to get away from spreadsheets, get away from pivot tables. I was looking at the enormous amount of hours we were spending uh, ourselves as a manager, my associates, senior consultants, spending trying to figure out what is going on with the revenue cycle, and I. I sat there in 2006 and there's got to be a better way. So I actually, I left Deloitte at the end of 2006. I moved back to San Diego, California from Atlanta where I was living. And I started Interpoint. And that was my uh, company that I built up over five years and I ended up selling it to a public company out of Atlanta, Streamline Health. And the whole premise of my company was uh, putting bolt-on solutions on top of patient accounting and practice management systems to structure workflow, to automate workflow, and to have deep root cause analysis analytics that gets you away from spreadsheets, away from pivot tables and tell you really where your issues are, right? It was that whole movement of big data. Everyone remembers like, you know, everyone started talking about the big data, analytics, everything, you know, all the hymns, MGMA, right? Everybody started to put it on their billboards, even if they didn't really know what it meant. Business intelligence was a big buzzword. And then predictive analytics came after that. And now it's of course machine learning, AI, everything. But Interpoint was really where I think my career um, got very deep in expertise because living in data, working with large healthcare organizations, which were our clients, I saw it all. I mean, mm -hmm. three, 400 person business offices, uh, the complexities of patient access and financial clearance, complexities of delivering care. Um, and we had that we were the analytics behind it. We were the automation behind it. And so that's really where my, my career took off. And, you know, over the last couple of years with Metaball, you know, I saw an opportunity to get them away from being just a practice management company because, frankly, it's a commodity. You know, we have revenue cycle services, which I oversee as well, and it's a commodity. Uh, but what we're doing now, AI workflow automation, what we're doing now through through analytics um, and really bringing those topics together in and around the entire revenue cycle has been transformational for the company, and mm -hmm. it's been transformational for our clients. Yeah. I, let's go back to you know, 2006 when you, when you started that company to today. So the bottom line is I wouldn't think that the, the goals of improving a revenue cycle are going to change in the sense that you want it improved, you want it more efficient, but technology doesn't stay the same. So you've seen the data analytics change. You've seen the adoption, as you said, of AI, of machine learning, of all these different tools to automate. So walk us through that. What is it, what's different in revenue cycle management and what's the same when you look at it from 06 to 2020? 
Well, I think you know what's the same is is that you still, no matter how great your technology is, you're not going to replace your people. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as especially with AI, everyone thinks, well, AI, I guess I, I just won't need people anymore. That's that's not true in healthcare. And anyone that believes that needs to re rethink the, their position on that. Is is that you always are going to have people, and you're always going to have processes some automated, some manual, that have to align with technology. And that's really the key there, right? Aligning with technology. I can, I can hand you the best technology with proven results, but if you don't align your people, your org structure, and your process with that technology, you will never get to your best. You will never be your best self, right? And it's, it's, it's uh, I was recently talking with a, a sales prospect and they were going down this one route, of, well, this one vendor technology, they promised this huge ROI, and, I really believe if we buy this thing, and we don't, we don't do what what they're at. You know, we're not in that space, that area that they're looking at. And she, you know, she kept hitting me on it, and I said, you know, if you're buying a technology, thinking that that's just going to reduce your coders, like just buying that tech is going to reduce your coders, you're you're going to be disappointed, you know, because you haven't even had a chance to look at your current people and your process and how you're using your current technology, and you just want to go out and write a big check because some salesperson says there's an ROI out there. So, so I think that, you know, whether it was 2006 or frankly 2000 when I started my career in RevCycle or whether it's 2020 and beyond, it doesn't matter how great the technology is and what area of the revenue cycle it's supposed to fix, you still have people and you still have process that align with that tech. And you've got to have help in making sure. And then we as an IT vendor, I mean, we deploy our consultants. We deploy people who understand revenue cycle because the last thing I want to do is come back in a year and find out that they're not maximizing the use of it. Mm -hmm. All right, so we've made that investment ourselves, but I think too many tech vendors, you know, they just assume that it's a point solution. Hey, it's going to solve your underpayment problem. It's going to solve your patient engagement price transparency problem. It's going to solve your coding productivity problem. It's like, will it? I'm sure the constructs of the tool will, but have you worked with an organization? Have you actually sat on the ground floor in the war zone or revenue cycle to really see how you're going to adjust their people and process to align with the technology or zone? And that's, that's an important aspect there. You know, a lot's changed in this 15 years, right? You go back to like early 2000 when what 5% of the, of the bill was coming from the patient. So whether you collected from the patient or not, who cares? You know, uh, you know, it is what it is mm -hmm. because 95% of your money was coming from the insurance company. Well, guess what? That's flipped now. Why? Right? So 50, 55% of the money is coming from the consumer now. And by the way, we're not good at collecting from the consumer, right? I mean, we're just not, you know, if you're a health system, and you've got an emergency room, you're in real trouble, mm -hmm. right? Because you cannot see that patient no matter what, whether they're going to pay. If you're a private practice, and right now we're, we're in private practice, we're in medical specialties, elective medical specialties, surgeries, right? Orthopedic, neurology, spine, neuro. Places that you would think would be good at holding their patients accountable for the portion of the bill, they're not. They're not. Um, and and, and so, so the landscape of that dollar and where it's coming from has changed. And the organizations that start to embrace accountability on the consumer, reasonable accountability on the consumer with good price transparency, you know, reduce the risk of surprise billing, giving the patients the ability to have different ways to pay, whether it's financing or, or payment plans, right, so that they can they can, can meet the needs of these high deductible plans. Those folks will actually lead the market. The ones that don't embrace that, they're going to be bought up by a hospital or they're going to end up out of business and retire early. It's as simple as that. I mean, the dollar has changed and where that's coming from. So I think that, you know, I love your question because a lot of things have stayed the same. The revenue cycle and its core foundation has stayed the same. You deliver a service. Did you get the patient cleared before you deliver a service financially? Yes or no. If you got them cleared, did you get paid? Did you get paid appropriately? 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all the that whole that whole continuum has stayed the same. Different technology is now popping into these different areas. Oh, install this, bolt on that, buy my PMEMR, right? I'll solve this, cloud that. Align people, align process. If you don't do those two things first with the technology, don't buy the technology. It's not worth it. Yeah. One thing you said in a, in a previous conversation that you and I had was that actionable data is key. You, you made the point that there's no shortage of data out there from every single practice. They generate so much data, but it has to be actionable data. It has to be data that's analyzed and mined. Um, how do we get to that point then? How do we go from just having more data than we know what to do with to having the data that really tells the story and that you can act on and, and use in your revenue cycle? Yeah, that's a great question. If you think about the continuum of data analytics in healthcare, right? So in, in 2000, when I started my career, I was getting you know, literally green bar reports. It was getting maybe a data dump CSD file. It was thrown into some medium like Excel. I was trying to do a bunch of pivot tables. It was hours and hours and hours of, of really one-dimensional, maybe two-dimensional at best, one-time analyses, right? Oh, man, there's the problem. Now now the question is, well, let's make some changes. Well, how are we going to measure whether that problem continues to exist or not? Oh, man, that's another 100 hours, right? So we went from that to what big data. Now you have all these data visualization tools out there, Tableau, ClickView, Business Objects, right? All these big, yeah, and then you have some niche players too. Well, hey, I'm gonna give you access to all your information, good luck. Well, the problem there is, how do you know what you're supposed to be looking for? <laughs> yeah. You need to have subject matter infused analytics, and that's what, what we have now started to bring to the table here. You know, I want you to read, we call it our scorecard, you need to be able to read your story, your revenue cycle story in less than five minutes, we always joke over a cup of coffee. That's reality. Don't tell me you produced 100 reports at the end of the month, it takes you 10 days to get through it, then you have to develop your board meeting report. No, those days are long gone. If the data and if the answers are not coming to the surface for you, you have a problem, you know? And I think I I said that on our our webinar a couple weeks ago, and I'll say it again at MGMA, is look, if, if you're having to dive down into data to figure out if you even have a problem, you're so far behind already. Now that doesn't mean, look, if you find a problem, you know, you're reading your scorecard and you're like, man, bad debt's really on the rise. Or, man, these uh, the authorization denials are on the rise. You need the tools to drill down. But if the story is not telling you you have a problem, don't waste your time on data mining. Don't hire 10 analysts to go run a bunch of pivot tables and say, well, you know, there is a problem here. You need to bring that stuff to the surface, right? You know, insight to action, action to outcome. And that's what we say here at Minimal, and that's what I've really said throughout my career, is insight needs to be brought to the surface Action plans need to be driven by your subject matter expertise. Look, because of what I'm seeing here, these are the things I want to change about people and process, possibly put in some technology or modify existing technology. And look for the results. If you don't get the results, make changes to the plan. Right? Just because, you know, if you look at a battle analogy, just say, hey, these are the plans. This is how we're going to go storm this area. Well, guess what? The first bullet goes off, and sometimes those plans are <laughs> are not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to have the next plan and the next plan. You have to be agile. You have to be nimble. Um, but but data analytics has, has changed dramatically over the last decade. You know, um, you know, you cannot live in data mining anymore. I don't even use the term. I hate the term. Um, <laughs> you have to really be able to read your revenue cycle story, read it in a very fast, reasonable amount of time, and you have to know what areas of your revenue cycle to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also, I mean, I'll just say that also 
transpires into when you know, we'll talk, I'm sure, later today on, on workflow automation, right, and on workforce productivity and outcome. You know, it's not just revenue cycle data. It's what your people are doing that you're paying to hopefully get a positive financial outcome. So it, it stretches deep, and, and that's where actually where I see the biggest limitations right now in the EHRPM market is that so much focus has been on clinical side. People forget about the rudimentary tasks that, that get you paid mm-hmm. and being able to measure the performance of those tasks and automate those tasks. Like how can you run a revenue cycle if you don't have those tools? You can't, whether I'm managing your revenue cycle or you are managing your own revenue cycle. You have to have those tools. You have to have workflow automation. You have to have transparency to tell you whether your people are doing the right thing with the right outcome. Mm-hmm. I want to talk uh, in more detail about a, a presentation you're going to be giving. You're one of the featured speakers at MGMA's financial conference. That's going to take place March 5th through 7th in Nashville. Your session is it's entitled Using Analytics to Automate and Streamline Practice Management and Revenue Cycle. Uh, it's basically what we've been talking about here. So give us a thumbnail sketch. What are one or two key takeaways uh, that attendees can expect to learn from this session if they're looking at attending that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, we, we, we just spent a little bit of time really on the importance of using analytics, right? Bringing, bringing data to the surface to really tell you your story and whether you have to, to look at taking action or not. So I, I think, you know, getting away from the whole pivot table concept, getting away from data mining, that is definitely going to be a theme there. I think the other two themes that are important is, as I already mentioned it briefly, is, is looking at effectiveness in revenue cycle. Too many times we, we look at production, but we don't look at outcome. Right, and and it, it'd be you know you, you have this huge wave on the clinical outcomes over the last you know twenty years, right? You know value based care. Are we are we actually getting outcomes? Or are we just treating the patient? You know why aren't we doing that on the revenue cycle, right? So here at Metabol, our tools are designed to not just measure production, but to measure the outcome that those folks are producing. We have to understand if our people are willing and capable, you know, and if they're willing, great. But if they're not capable, can I train them to be capable in the role that I've assigned them? If not, is there another role that would align with your skill set, right? And so you have to be able to measure the, the outcome that your folks are getting, whether they're on the front end of the revenue cycle, making sure patients are getting financially cleared, or they're on the back end of the revenue cycle, making sure your AR is being turned and getting paid, right? So that's, that's a, the second theme that I think is important. You know, the third theme is peace of mind. I know that sounds soft, but, but as an administrator of a, of a small practice to large complex practice, I asked folks, I said, do you have peace of mind? And they said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, do you know that, that your revenue cycle is where it needs to be and the results are being produced to your, your expectation? And they usually look at me and go, uh, no. I mean, some, sometimes. And so, so learning ways in which the, the peace of mind can kind of relieve the stress of revenue cycle is going to be a key component here, right? And so what do I mean by that? Do you know that every patient that comes into your office for service is financially cleared? Did you do all the work required to make sure that you're protecting the insurance reimbursement and you're protecting the patient reimbursement? You know, and then on the back end, do you know that you have a complete accounting of your account receivable, whether it's insurance balance remaining or self-pay balance remaining or it's credit balances sitting out there? You know that every single claim has a home and somebody is looking at it and you can measure the outcome of their effectiveness of the work they're doing on it. You have peace of mind in those two areas of revenue cycle. I don't care who you are. You're going to sleep better at night. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't solve all your problems. 
minds, but peace of mind is a big thing in revenue cycle. Too often do I meet with executives and uh, managers in revenue cycle, and I say, you know, what keeps you up at night? And they, the answer is, it's not knowing what I don't know. Hmm. And I go, wow, that's like a double negative, I think. Yeah. But, but <laughs> it's true, right? I mean, they may have a physician walk into their office and say, why is my cash down? You used to collect a lot more money from me a year ago. What's wrong? Well, geez, doc, uh, there's a lot of variables that could go into that statement, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have analytics coming to the surface and it's telling you that story, you are already ahead of that to have a very non-emotional, objective conversation with that provider, right? There's no, there's no assuming, there's no estimating. It's like, this is why you're seeing what you're seeing, doc. These are the things you could do to improve your situation. These are the things that are out of our control. And, and, and to be able to do that quickly in a matter of minutes and not get lost into the fray of, of oh my God, I gotta go figure out what's wrong, he's upset, she's upset. There's a peace of mind there that's important. So I, I mean, I'm excited to talk, I love working with you guys, you know, and I'm excited to talk about you know, looking at things like, like data and analytics and how we can bring things to the surface, making sure that people understand ways, best practices to measure effectiveness, not just production. Uh, and then peace of mind, themes around peace of mind and how and whether, you know, whatever role is sitting in that presentation that I think they will resonate with, with having a calmer approach around the cycle and saying, hey, you know, we're where we need to be. And if we're not where we need to be, we actually have a good idea where we need to go and mm -hmm. how to get there. Yeah. One of the other main issues that you talk about is uh, staff workflow bottlenecks and how they lead to poor performance in revenue cycle management. So walk us through that. How does this bottleneck occur? If we've got all this data that we're working with and all the planning put in place, what, what's going on? Where's the disconnect and how do these bottlenecks occur? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, and I've touched on a, a few of these, these themes, but just to kind of reiterate, I think that, that one of the big bottlenecks is the misconception that technology will solve your problems. Right? And that, that, that literally is a psychological bottleneck. It's like, well, if I just buy that, then everything gets better. Well, that, that's a big risk and a, and a potential big mistake. You know, and, and, and along with that is, 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 is not realizing how important your people you know, and the organization of your people and the processes they do um, and whether the people in the process are aligned with technology, um, I see so many bottlenecks occur on the front end of the revenue cycle causing tons of preventable first pass analysis simply because of the way the people have been organized and the processes and their lack of using technology that already exists today. Prime example, automated insurance verification. I was just with some, some prospects over the last month or so, you'd be surprised how many people have tools that would tell you those things. If this patient does have this insurance, they do have the benefits for what we're about to do. We know it's, we know the order of the insurance, the COB is what we call it. They don't use the tools. And guess what happens? First pass to now, preventable. And now someone in the back office has to make a phone call or probably likely multiple phone calls to that patient to try to get the right information after the service has been delivered. Um, and, and then obviously no patient uh, deductible has been collected, you know, any historical balances haven't been collected, right? And so there's so many things that now have to go into work, which costs more money, which increases the cost to collect on the back end because somebody didn't use a technology that was already there for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, bottlenecks to me are around people and process and how they use the technology they've already developed uh, or, or installed or even the stuff they're looking to install, not assessing process first, 
and I know I'm getting redundant saying people process, but the one thing Dale Sockham nailed in my head back in 2000 to 2004 was there's three components of success in revenue cycle. It's people, it's process, and it's technology. And you have to have ways to analyze and measure performance around those areas in close to real time as possible. Mm-hmm. You get that right, you're in a much better shape. Right. Now, we're talking about that, the people, the processes, the technology. So we've mentioned AI several times here. Um, and as you made it clear, if you don't know how to analyze that, use that information, then it's, it's, it's worthless to you. But let's say you do know how to use it. So in what way is AI changing the game? What is it doing that's uh, improving workflow automation? What else is it doing that's, that's different than before? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, where we apply the principles is it's, it's trying to remove work that there's nothing you can do to progress the outcome, right? So I'll use like AR example, like 80 to 85% of the claims that sit on an active AR that people are following up on, there's nothing you can do today to, to, to move that claim closer to getting paid. Well, why do you look at it? Why, why are your people looking at it? Why, why are you doing it? So AI and its principle is not just reduce people. I already said at the beginning of this podcast, I mean, I mean your assumption is just gonna reduce people, you're wrong but I want my people to be as efficient as possible. So if I'm gonna put a claim in front of them to work, it needs to be the exact claim that I want them to work and there needs to be something that they can do about it. Now, where the AI and the machine learning starts to come in is what do they need to do? And that's where patterns start to come in. And so one of the things our data science teams start looking at is what are the patterns that we're seeing in the way claims are being paid or not paid? What are some of the attributes of the claims that are, are getting paid quicker? Do we need to start directing certain people to certain actions and status codes and activity codes to say, hey, every time you do these three things in combination, your likelihood of getting paid on the next pass is 85%. At the same time, if you keep doing these things, you're never gonna get paid, right? So it's letting the data analytics, it's letting the models start to run and start to bring outcome to the surface to the folks to change their behaviors and the way they work these things. And you could do that on the back end account receivable management. You could do it on the front end with the way you need to financially clear patients. Um, you know, it also drives alerts, right? So if you start to see a profile of a claim that is a much higher risk for a denial, why wouldn't you bring that to the surface, flashing red to the person and say, you have to look at me right now and these are the things you need to consider. Right? Why have it sit out there in a, a surplus of 25,000 open claims or 50,000 or 100,000 depending on the size of the organization and hope someone gets to it in a timely manner before it gets denied for timely, right? So it's letting data and analytics um, you know, in an automated fashion bring answers to the surface, direct and most importantly, I think, you know, put the, the workforce into a construct that, that it levels the playing field. And what I mean by that is, is, that, is that everybody is on the same playing field. Like if I'm an AR rep, these are the things that I do, these are the tools that I use, everyone's using the same tools. Now I can be measured. I can be measured against benchmark, I can be measured against my peers, right? And this is the way I do follow up, or this is the way I financially clear uh, patients on the front end, or make sure authorizations are in place, or make sure COB eligibility is done, or make sure patient estimates are given and money is collected, right? Any of those critical functions can be standardized and it levels the playing field, right? And that that, that becomes really important um, 
with with any workflow automation that you're looking to deploy. Mm -hmm. Do you have a a real-life example, an anecdote, a case study that you can share with us about successful adoption of uh, some of these tools that you've really seen the success on the back end there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, and it, well, it's interesting as I spoke with uh, Marianne Thompson. She's uh, the controller uh, up at Mid Atlantic Urology, very large urology practice up in the north uh, northeast. We actually spoke at uh, the MGMA conference uh, in the fall together on the on really what workflow automation and analytics has done mm-hmm. for their organization, the adoption of it. And I know we did a webinar a couple of weeks with with MGMA as well. You know, and I think I think which impresses me the most about Marianne and her team up there is not only did they 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 use are they using the workflow automation suite that we deliver, they're using the analytics uh, suite that we deliver, but they were willing to realign their people and process with with the technology, and that's why they've gotten the results that they have. You know, they had a huge improvement to net revenue last year. Um, and, and the reason that they are able to do that is not just because of the technology, it's because they embrace the change. They listen to our subject matter experts. You know, we have lots of backgrounds. We've seen the way things have worked for other places. We've seen the way they don't work, right? And so she really has, has been a tremendous leader. Their physicians got adopted, right? Dr. Ellis and, and all of the physicians up there really have embraced data analytics now. They've embraced our scorecard. They, they've let data start to drive decisions of, of obviously making changes to people process and, they get, and augmenting technology. So they've really, they've seen that, that result. And it's been exciting to see, you know, she was in the uh, situation where before we, we installed our, our AI workflow management solution on the back end on the AR side, she thought she was going to need probably 12 FTEs to follow up on her 20,000 plus claims. Mm-hmm. Once we carved out all the stuff that didn't need to be looked at, she needed three and a half. Hmm. So she didn't have to hire you know, and they just centralized their business office organization. So she went from thinking she had to hire a surplus of FTEs to manage her receivable to really being appropriately staffed. Uh, and that's because she, she's really embraced this stuff. So it's exciting work with them. You know, we have, you know, Columbia Orthopedic Group is another one, you know, uh, large orthopedic practice in, in Missouri. And they, you know, again, you know, not just installing technology, but they embrace the technology, they embrace the recommendation set of how to best use it set up work queues, look at productivity, look at staff outcome, and guess what? Their AR over 60 has dropped materially since, since we went live with them. And so those stories continue to, to occur, and it's exciting to see it, you know, not just for MetaVolve, but also the fact that, that if you use technology right and you align it with your people and you're, and may, and you're willing to make changes to process, and in some case people, the results will speak for themselves, right? And, and so it, it's been nice to see that. And, and we, we're proud of working with these clients, and, and we're proud to speak with these clients when we can at, at great organizations like MGMA. Mm-hmm. Do you see a common theme in working with so many that there's just, once you get the process put in place, the new technology put in place, um, that something that's easily correctable once you get in there? Is there, is there a commonality among the different practices you work with? Well, you know, obviously organizations that are embracing the change of, of revenue cycle are important. You know, I, I'll, I always, you, you'll always hear me go back to this whole wave of, of the patient deductible now and, and the, the fact that it's, it's more important than ever to collect from the patient, you know, what they're about to owe you. That means a good estimator, uh, as well as collecting uh, prior balances. You'd be, 
uh, surprised how many, how many, uh, how much free care is given, you know, and I say that, you know, a little bit jokingly, but, but a lot of providers don't even realize how much money these patients already owe them for services they've already delivered that they've never paid for. Uh, some of these, these providers don't even realize that, you know, these patients have been sent to bad debt. Part of our responsibility is making sure that they understand their consumer, they understand historical trends with that consumer and they can make the informed decision on how accountable they want to hold those folks if they want to continue to treat them. So I think people who've embraced the fact that half that dollar or more is now coming from the consumer is important. On the flip side, those same people have to embrace the fact that it's increasingly more difficult to collect from the insurance company. You have little wiggle room now, right? The insurance company exists to not pay you. You know, um, you know, and, and, and that's that's really the game, right? And so they're also they're also hedging on the fact that you're not going to scrutinize all the outstanding claims, and you're going to miss a handful, or in some cases a lot, right? And that's why they have such rigorous timely filing statutes in there. So if you don't have workflow automation, if you don't have AI, if you don't have alerting to keep you on top of all of these rules and regulations, you're going to be uh, potentially at risk for for your dollar. And so I think that the, you know the 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 culture of organizations where the physicians and the providers are really, really attuned to the financial performance of the organization and they're willing to make investment uh, and, and take take a, a level of ownership in, in making changes to the revenue cycle are ones are going to be successful. Um, and and that, that's really going to, I think, you know, as I look at the next 10 years of my career, you know, I don't see that changing. You know, I don't think anything that's going to happen in 2020 is going to change the revenue cycle fundamentally. I think, you know, there's going to be increasing debt uh, that's going to rise on the patient side. I think there's going to be increasingly uh, problems with, with payers and getting reimbursed appropriately uh, and making sure you understand when you don't. So there's a lot of macro themes that are going on that are not going to be solved in the election. They're not going to be solved, you know, in the next uh, five to 10 years, they may never be solved. You know, I, I have to say this, and, and I, I say this a lot lately, is if you'd asked me in 20, 2000, you know, I started with StockCamp, and I started to really understand workflow automation and analytics back then, right, 20 years ago. If you had said, Matt, do you think in 2020 you could build a workflow automation suite with a, some really, really good analytics and deploy that and people would buy it? I'd say, there's no way. I said, oh, these PM companies, these patient chemical companies, these DMR companies, they're going to have that all figured out. Probably by 2005, 2010, 2015. Well, guess what? No, absolutely. This is my fourth workflow automation system I've built, and I could probably build two more before I'm, I'm finally ready to go coach high school track and teach <laughs> history, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, my point is, is that is that the revenue cycle gets left behind. You know, it's all about the physician. It's about the provider. It's about the patient now, right? It's it's all of this, this, this. Guess who gets left behind? The, the people who are out there every day trying to do the best they can and get you paid what you're supposed to be paid for the service that you're delivering. And and, and it's unfortunate. Um, but the good news is there's companies out there, you know, we're one of them, that have really said, hey, I'm going to build my whole business around this. I'm going to build my whole business around giving you workflow automation tools driven by AI and transparency tools that you can read in seconds to help you Get your revenue cycle to exactly where you need to be to be the most effective with the best financial outcome and keep your cost to collect as low as possible, which is just going to increase your margin, which is good for everything in business. Mm -hmm. Before we sign off, uh, do you have any resources, any tools, articles, anything that you could uh, that you could share with our audience? 
Yeah, you know, one of the things that we've really focused on the last couple of years here at Metal is thought leadership. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we're putting out content that's actionable. We're putting out things that will help, uh, you know, like, for example, the MGMA subscribers and help our clients, you know, read and understand the themes that are going on. You know, we, we, we want to bring those things out. And so, you know, anyone goes to metabolic.com uh, and look, uh, clicks on resources. Yeah, that's a good place to see uh, lots of uh, webinars. We've got lots of white papers, thought leadership. We've even got case studies in there. And so it's a good place to go. And I would certainly recommend uh, folks check it out. Matt Seafeld, Executive Vice President of Metavolve. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting to Nashville as well and, and seeing you all. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Matt Seafeld. To browse the articles, webinars, case studies, and other thought leadership content Matt referenced in the show, visit metavolve.com resources. You can also hear Matt speak with co-presenter Andrea Vitalich at MGMA 20, the financial conference, March 5th through 7th in Nashville. Still need to reserve your spot? Use the code POD20 while registering to save $200. Visit mgma.com slash TFC20 for more info and to register. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at mgmadaniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.